You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to start in the shoe swap tonight where some residents are reacting angrily to what they feel is a lack of information and support from BC Wildfire Service. The giant Bush Creek East fire has been threatening homes and communities. Troy Charles is live in Blind Bay with more on the showdown between RCMP officers and a convoy of people, Troy, that were trying to get through that checkpoint last night. Chris, the aftermath of this Bush Creek East wildfire has led to a rather polarizing situation in the North Shushwap area with a varying degree of issues and concerns for many parties involved. And that all came to a head last night at the checkpoint behind me. Wednesday night, a self-proclaimed convoy descended on a police checkpoint near Sorrento with, as their poster reads, the intent to begin peaceful conversations that would result in the dismantling of the checkpoint. In a series of now-deleted tweets, the BC Wildfire Service said it was made aware of the convoy's intentions and reassigned crews to other areas of the fire due to safety concerns. Today, crews continued the firefight as planned. Simultaneously, as we posted it, we received information from RCMP uh, that the situation we were describing uh, was not as serious in the moment. Fortunately, after some time, it was peacefully uh, agreed upon and, and they, they had departed without anybody actually still getting through at that point. Shushwap MLA Greg Kylo weighed in on the incident. Emotions are, you know, understandably running very high right now. One that highlights the polarizing wildfire situation in North Shushwap. I do know that folks from the North Shushwap are really upset and disappointed that, uh, that these groups are trying to, you know, for, for, for public uh, opportunity, you know, take advantage and trying to hijack the messaging. Kylo says the main ask from those who stayed behind in evacuation zones is collaboration. A lot of folks on the ground uh, that have a lot of experience with heavy equipment operation and otherwise, these are very resilient, highly skilled individuals in the area. And uh, they've largely taken up arms to, you know, battle the fire and protect their properties and their, their ranches in the, in the community. BC Wildfire highlights that planned ignitions and helicopter drops make collaboration with local crews a dangerous endeavor, but admit those conversations are underway. Engaging in dialogue this morning in terms of collaborative work happening uh, in North Shushwap, and we are fully committed to see that through. Those conversations have yet to reach Carl Bischoff and his local crew who have been battling spot fires in the hills above Solista for the past six days. Have you heard anything about authorities starting to work together with you guys? No, is no, zero. I think we're on our own, I believe. In a situation where communication is critical, it seems a breakthrough on this front would go a long way for all. Chris, in the last six days when, that we've been in the air, we've spoken to many evacuees and a lot of them say they're trying to drown out the noise and stay focused on what's important to them, which is seeing this wildfire contained and eventually returning to their homes. And a bit of good news on that front, we recently got word from BC Hydro that power has been restored to parts of central Scotch Creek, including the gas station and community store some steps being made in the right direction. Back to you. And that'll be very helpful to a lot of the residents out there. Thanks very much, Troy. Now, residents of West Kelowna were a little shocked to see flames and smoke erupt right behind another neighborhood today. 
but quickly learned it was nothing to be afraid of. Cassidy Moscone is live in Kelowna Forest now with more on a controlled burn that got everyone's attention. But first, Cassidy, we want to focus on the good news for residents there, some given the all clear to return home. Yes, so we got the news a little earlier this afternoon. These people have been out of their homes for about a week now, so you can just imagine how eager they were to return. For residents in West Kelowna, some of them will have to wait a little while longer as fire crews continue to work to get them home. Fighting fire with fire. Crews on the ground in West Kelowna give Mother Nature a taste of its own. Planned ignitions helping burn back unwanted fuel and save homes. I don't want people to think that we've lost control of the fire. We haven't. They're planned by experts and they're only done when it's safe to do so. Nearly 200 structures haven't been so lucky. Countless residents now displaced from their home, held up in emergency support for now, but they can't stay in hotels forever. There's definitely going to be a significant increase in demand for rental properties. We've seen that already from people who are renting. There's also going to be a huge demand on builders. We're already almost at a zero vacancy rate here in Kelowna as it is. So, you know, it's pretty tight. It's going to be tougher for a lot of uh, uh, renters. Firefighters are exhausted. They've been fighting this blaze for eight days now. The West Kelowna Fire Chief hopes the government is watching the message clear. I look forward to this incident being a catalyst to make change, smoothing the process for us so that the money comes without us having to apply and compete for it. The risk is well known, better now than ever in my community. We look forward to an allocation where we don't have to fight for the dollars. To keep crews fighting fires, not the system. Tonight, more than 1,600 residents here in the city of Kelowna got to go home, more than 300 over in Lake Country too. Uh, these communities are still on alert, and now the outlook for the Okanagan over the weekend is heating up, so fire crews will be looking to make as much ground as possible overnight and into tomorrow. Chris? Right, they've got better conditions for it for sure. Thanks very much, Cassidy. That's Cassidy Moscone in Kelowna. Of course, those aren't the only areas where aggressive fires are burning in our province right now. For more on the provincial picture and several other fires of note, we'll bring in Jordan Armstrong. Jordan. Yeah, Chris, of course, the numbers are always changing. We will begin with the Adams Complex fire, which is the East Bush fire, and Adams Lake. That is the fire you heard about in Troy's story. Here it is on the big map. You can see all that red, the evacuation areas. This is the fire where the two fires merged. It is at more than 41,000 hectares out of control and has destroyed structures, as we've reported. It is highly visible from Highway 1. The Thompson-Nicola Regional District has issued evacuation notices for hundreds of homes, including the Adams Lake Indian Band, and there are even more on alert. Suspected cause was a lightning strike, and there are more than 200 crew at this fire with support from 17 helicopters and 71 pieces of heavy equipment. Let's drop down to the south on our map here. We're going to go right above the border and check in with the fire uh, that is burning near Karameas. Now, this is an out-of-control fire as well. It has grown to about 44,000 hectares. It was also lightning-caused. At this point, there are eight helicopters assisting in the firefights, 
and crews on the grounds. There are more than 100 properties on evacuation order. And the neighboring Upper Park Rill Creek wildfire, you can see it right there. More than 600 are on alert. The Upper Rill Creek fire is at about 1,800 hectares. Let's go back to the big picture and we'll move up to the Bender Complex. Now, it consists of two fires burning near Lillooet, the Downton Lake Fire that is closing in on 9,000 hectares. It has more than 100 personnel assigned to fight it and 15 helicopters. The other part is the Casper Creek Fire, which has exceeded 10,000 hectares. Now, these fires have resulted in numerous evacuation orders and alerts. The Squamish Lillooet Regional District is warning of visibility issues. There is concern that warming temperatures this weekend will be a problem. And uh, many fires of note, but uh, we'll feature one more before we leave you with tonight's update. Chris, the Kukupi Creek fire closer to Lytton is also still out of control. It has grown to more than 14,000 hectares and has resulted in numerous evacuation orders and alerts in electoral area A south to Boston Bar. This fire has been burning since July 8th and was likely caused by lightning. Of course, we will be watching all of these wildfires this weekend as the forecast calls for more hot and dry weather, Chris. Certainly does, and we'll get more details on that right now. Thanks very much, Jordan. We're going to bring in Steph Flory and our weather specialist with more on these rising temperatures and what we need to know about that smoke moving back in. Too. So it's a hazy day, Chris, and we're going to see, we're already seeing that localized smoke, but through the overnight tonight, expecting that more widespread. So these outflow winds calm right now, but we're going to be seeing those pick up in towards tomorrow afternoon and these outflow winds making its way from east to west. So we're seeing a worsening situation here around the south coast. Already some air quality statements in place, which we will take a look at coming up in the show. Friday is going to be the worst for the widespread smoke. It'll improve a little bit on Saturday, but still localized. And then into your day on Sunday as temperatures begin to really soar about 5 to 10 degrees above where they should be. So we have a very hot weekend ahead of us. Here's a look at the south coast near the water. Temperatures on the rise. Sunday the hottest. Should see a little bit more of a better situation as far as the smoke is concerned by Sunday, but it's going to worsen for your Sunday into your Saturday. Same with Kelowna. There you can see those rising temperatures. We do have some active weather and a drop in temperatures coming before we head into a hot Labor Day. Back to you. All right, we'll check in a little later on the news hour. Thank you, Steph. In the meantime, scammers take advantage of Vancouver's tight rental market. It's a nightmare to, to move here, to be honest. The shocking experience for a couple from Calgary and how it serves as a warning. Consumer Matters is next. How are you, sir? The longtime usher that might just be the Vancouver Canadians MVP coming up later on the news hour. Plus, <laughs> an unwelcome bandit causes havoc in a Langford home. How RCMP handled a rogue raccoon coming up as well. Right now, though, finding a place in Vancouver's tight rental market is tough enough. But tonight, the story of how scammers took advantage of a Calgary couple trying to find a home here. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea joins us with more. And Anne, these tactics the scammers are using seem to get more and more sophisticated. That is so true. Thanks, Chris. It's well known the rental market in Vancouver is tight, but unfortunately, that's creating opportunities for fraudsters. In fact, the Better Business Bureau says rental scams are among the top 10 riskiest scams in Canada, and they show no sign of slowing down. When Carla Perez and her husband were looking to move to the West Coast from Calgary, they knew finding a rental in Vancouver's tight market would be a challenge. It's a nightmare to, to move here, to be honest. 
After weeks of combing through rental ads, they finally came across this one on Facebook. They thought they had found the perfect spot, a two-bedroom in downtown Vancouver that even accepted pets. Trouble is, Carla couldn't see the property in person. It should have been a red flag, but Carla says a quick web search confirmed the apartment photos she had viewed were tied to the correct rental property in Vancouver and appeared to be a real listing. She also says for weeks she had several conversations on the phone with the property manager. So how legitimate did this all seem? It seemed very legitimate. In fact, that same property manager even offered to pick up the young couple at Vancouver International Airport and drive them to the rental property. It was enough for the couple to feel comfortable signing the rental contract, sending the first month's rent, a security and pet deposit for a total of $5,400 sent via e-transfer. But days before the move, Carla says she couldn't reach the property manager. And when they arrived in Vancouver... I called uh, one last time and my call didn't go through. It was then the couple faced the harsh reality they had fallen victim to a rental scam. We did such a good job saving the money to come here. And then we get here and we're like, oh, all of our efforts are now gone. The Better Business Bureau says rental scams are becoming more sophisticated, especially given the tight rental market. It's really hard to find a place to live. Uh, so that makes the urgency of sending money maybe a little bit higher for consumers. The BBB says to avoid falling for a rental scam, make sure you see the property in person or get someone you trust to check it out for you. Avoid paying strangers with cash e-transfers and confirm the legitimacy of a property manager or real estate agent's GST number on the Government of Canada website. Leave it. Carla has since found a new place in Vancouver, <laughs> happily settled in, now sharing her story to help others. And the Better Business Bureau also says you can check to see if a property manager is legitimate by going to the BC Financial Services Authority website. And one more note here. When Carla reported the fraud to the bank, she says the bank told her because she sent the money willingly, there was nothing it could do, nor could it disclose the account that received the money due to privacy. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thanks very much. Coming up, a rideshare scare in Victoria. Turns out this vehicle is not what one customer expected. What saying about it next? Plus, facing reality at BC Ferries. The corporation's leaders hear from harsh critics at the AGM next. Still waiting to clear this crash involving a motorcycle in Coquitlam, eastbound on Highway 1, just east of Brunette in the HOV lane. Traffic is backed up all the way to Vancouver. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. I'm above Highway 1 and Burnett. Victoria police are asking for help identifying a vehicle and the driver involved in a suspicious incident. A woman reported entering a vehicle on August 13th in the 1900 block of Store Street, believing it was the rideshare car she'd ordered. While driving, the man told her he was actually going to take her to his house. Realizing it wasn't the rideshare, the woman safely left the vehicle a few blocks away. The car is believed to be a gray four-door sedan, possibly a 2013 or 2018 model Nissan Altima. 
The driver is described as 20 to 40 years old with a slim build, short black hair and trimmed beard. We're not sure of um, the intentions behind this incident, um, but this woman felt very unsafe um, and we are concerned about it. Officers are asking anyone who might have experienced a similar incident to call the Ecom report desk or Crime Stoppers and make sure the car matches the one confirmed on their rideshare app before ever getting into a vehicle. More people are using BC ferries than ever before, despite a summer of delays, cancellations and mechanical problems. BC Ferries CEO is promising to do better with all of those issues coming up at the AGM, where the company faced some of its biggest critics. Richard Zussman reports. Yeah, I don't know if I could even get close enough to get down there at this moment. It's island life in 2023. BC Ferry cancellations due to staffing. In this case, it's those trying to get from Crofton to Salt Spring Island. It's disappointing to say the least, but kind of figured it was going to happen. Um, BC Ferries, they just, they, they can't keep, seem to keep staff. After a summer of choppy seas, BC Ferries facing some of its biggest critics Thursday, CEO Nicholas Jimenez and his crew hosting an AGM. An acknowledgement, dock chips, staffing shortages and long waits have been getting people's attention. A lot of public conversation about the challenges that this company faces. They're well discussed, well covered. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Richard. Amidst the turbulence, the financial picture is pretty good. BC Ferries is making money and ridership is at record-breaking levels. 5.8 million passengers in the last fiscal year, up 7%, and 2.5 million vehicle voyages, up 3%. We're still looking good, uh, but the system's in stress right now. Uh, the, the demands in the system are historic. These numbers don't factor in the chaotic Canada Day long weekend, when the docking of the coastal celebration led to up to eight sailing waits. Nor does it factor in the recent breakdown of the coastal renaissance. Two years ago, BC Ferries had on-time performance of 85.6% of sailings. Last year, it was 85%. That means more than 35,000 additional passengers face delays. We have to respond when emergencies present themselves. And we've got a team in place to do that. BC Ferries and the union representing its workers are currently negotiating a new deal. It doesn't expire until next year, but there already are some matters of contention. They include training opportunities and career growth. And the big issue, wages. We did a survey of our members recently and more than 51% of them have taken up at least secondary employment to subsidize uh, their income through ferries. And, uh, you know, that creates a lot of frustration for our members. And the AGM couldn't dock without talk of the recently closed buffet. BC Ferries promising the future course for the space will be charted this fall. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, justice delayed. An RCMP officer cleared of any wrongdoing in the arrest of suspected car thieves. And critics wondering why it took seven years to come to that conclusion. And Mounties who went above and beyond the call of duty to call her a four-legged intruder. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. 
So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge with just some leftover volume on the east-west connector through Richmond. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. We have some breaking news for you now and another glimmer of hope for fire-ravaged West Kelowna. The province is going to lift travel restrictions for the community at midnight tonight. The order was implemented last week for several fire-affected municipalities in the Okanagan. It was designed to free up hotels and other accommodation for first responders and discourage people from traveling to the fire zone. It was lifted for most communities on Tuesday and now again for West Kelowna starting at midnight tonight. All right, the lawyer for an RCMP officer who was charged with assault and ultimately acquitted is condemning the glacial pace of the justice system and the actions of the Crown. Kristen Robinson shows us why the lawyer says the case was a monumental waste of time and tax dollars. Seven and a half years after this video captured Prince George RCMP taking down one of two suspects caught driving a stolen pickup truck, Constable Joshua Grafton has been acquitted of all charges. Mr. Obershawn was disbelieved. My client was believed. Grafton had been charged with assault with a weapon, assault and obstruction of justice in the February 2016 arrest. The officer used his police dog to pull Kyler Obishan from the truck and deployed seven strikes during the 52-second encounter. Provincial Court Judge Peter McDermott found all force used by Grafton was proportionate, necessary and reasonable. Police actions should not be judged against the standard of perfection and police should not be expected to measure the force used with exactitude. It's unfortunate that we had to spend 51 days of court time at a cost of almost $4 million. Constable Grafton was unable to be relocated, was ineligible for promotion and quite frankly the stresses of this court case hung over his head for what amounts to a third of his career. Seven and a half years is simply unacceptable for this outcome. The investigation by BC's police watchdog took two years. Crown took another two years to approve charges before Grafton was cleared three and a half years after that. I'm a very strong supporter for police accountability and for uh, independent oversight. It ensures public confidence and trust, but this can't be what that process looks like. Charges of assault causing bodily harm against the two other RCMP officers who arrested the truck's passenger were stayed in 2021 when Crown decided the evidence no longer met the charge approval standard. The Crown has to be held accountable respectfully for what has happened here. The BC Prosecution Service says it tries to bring all charges to trial as soon as possible, but in this case the process was delayed by the complexity of the evidence and information, the availability of lawyers and witnesses, and the pandemic. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It was another heart-wrenching day at the trial of the man accused of killing a young Burnaby teenager in 2017. As Romina Dea reports, the court heard once again from the mother of the victim and the night she returned home to an ominously empty apartment. The teen crying uncontrollably as she explained to the jury her final goodbye to her child. 
The witness, who cannot be identified because of a publication ban, said she was sleeping, but she could hear her daughter's voice. Mom, I'm going to school. It was July 18, 2017. After summer school, her daughter came home. They had lunch together. Mom was off to pick blueberries with a friend in Langley. She said there was nothing unusual about her daughter's behavior, but she chose not to come. In tears, she told the jury, my daughter wrapped both arms around me. I had not known it would have been our final farewell. She said, go slow. I'll be waiting for you at home. The witness said she left Langley after 8 p.m. roughly. She tried calling her daughter, no answer. When she arrived at their Burnaby apartment, she opened the door. It was dark. She called the team by her Chinese name. Still no answer. Mom said she left multiple messages. Her daughter's black running shoes missing. The witness said she was very scared and concerned because her daughter was always home before dark. In the early morning hours of the next day, police discovered the teen's partially undressed body in Burnaby Central Park. 33-year-old Ibrahim Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. An unexpected ending to a heavy day in court. The judge sending the jury home early, only telling them the teen's mother has asked to continue Friday. Romina Dea, Global News. West Shore RCMP responded to a very unusual call for help Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> Police say a raccoon attacked a dog outside a Langford home in the 500 block of Leckfield Avenue. The raccoon followed the dog into the home where the homeowners tried to deal with it, eventually trapping it in a bathroom. That's when the residents called police. Police called animal control, but they were unable to attend, so officers got creative, using a dog pole and a lacrosse stick to capture the raccoon. After putting up quite a fight, the raccoon was secured and eventually released outside. The pandemic supply chain issues and rising inflation have pushed more Canadians to struggle with food insecurity. The province's food banks report a lot of increased need, and now they're getting a big bump in funding to alleviate some of that pressure. Janet Brown reports. The provincial government is providing $15 million of previously announced funding for food banks around the province. The money is to help meet the rising demand for food banks and fund rapid access to food in emergency situations such as wildfires, and it is welcome relief. We've seen significant increase in need across the province uh, dating back to 2019. At the Surrey Food Bank, it is estimated demand is up by 20 to 25 percent over this time last year. At the same time, donations are down. With this current inflation, the prices of groceries and especially the rents gone up, people are left with very less disposable income. So as we walk along here in the warehouse, I'm seeing a lot of empty shelves. That has to be a concern. That's a concern for us. and. Uh, we are uh, trying our hard to fill them again, and for that we need donations, both in money and in kind. One of the biggest needs, baby formula, which has doubled in price over last year. And this is what we need a lot. Even those who volunteer are working fewer days because donations are down. Yes, we're low on food right now, but there's a lot of need. Need is higher, donations are lower. We're inside the freezer here at the Surrey Food Bank, and the shelves are mainly empty. Over here, there's milk, but there's only a two-day supply left. 
and here are some eggs, and there's just a couple of cartons of eggs left. It means a lot. If I, if I don't come, I run out of food. It's such a great support, especially for single moms like me. The Surrey Food Bank serves about 16,000 people a month. That is roughly 4,600 households. Janet Brown, Global News. Still ahead, a fan favorite. Just go straight around the corner there where the players are. The Vancouver Canadians usher who spent nearly half a century making sure people have fun at the ballpark. But first, spraying BC forests with herbicide. Why it's still happening and why some say it's making them less resilient to wildfires. Some questions answered about what caused an East Kootenai wildfire two years ago and what's being done to ensure it doesn't happen again. In July 2021, an empty CP coal train experienced a mechanical failure of one of its locomotives, causing embers to spark a 1.2 hectare fire near Cranbrook. The temperature in the area was 30 degrees and the fire rating high. It was raised to extreme the next day. Since then, CP has stopped trains from operating in areas when the fire danger is extreme, unless it's been recently inspected. The company also brought in increased fire detection and response plans and enhanced vegetation control along its rail lines. Now, a leading activist against spraying herbicides in BC's forests is raising the question of whether the practice is actually contributing to the fire hazard. As Paul Johnson reports, he says the spraying is actually killing the most fire-resistant trees. This is a stand of deciduous trees southwest of Prince George. Watch as a chopper sprays the area with the herbicide glyphosate, more commonly known as Roundup. It's meant to stop leafy trees from competing with commercially valuable evergreens. But could it have other consequences as well? It is unacceptable that we are going out there spending taxpayer money uh, to make our forests more flammable and to reduce uh, those natural fire breaks that we would have on the landscape. James Steidel has been fighting glyphosate spraying for years. He says this year's catastrophic wildfire season has highlighted one of the reasons for his work. Trees like aspen, birch and cottonwood are substantially less flammable than many evergreens. He believes 40 years of suppressing them could be one factor in making our forests more fire prone. We've suppressed an incredible amount of fire resistant deciduous right north of Scotch Creek where that fire went through. Now, I'm not saying that this would be the silver bullet to have stopped that fire, but it would have provided a lower burn rate in those forests. Okay, it would have provided fire breaks for the firefighters to tie into. To be clear, Steidel is not saying fires like this one in the Shuswap region are the result of spraying, but he believes ending the practice could help make our forests more resilient. We've seen them historically, the broadleaf trees, as being competitors. UBC forestry professor Lori Daniels says the practice is increasingly thought of as outmoded by scientists who now see many benefits of leaving the trees to grow. But having greater resilience to hot, dry summers and absolutely being more resilient to wildfires when they are occurring. The Provincial Ministry of Forests Thursday said herbicide use has declined significantly in recent years as foresters use a variety of approaches to manage competing vegetation. Paul Johnson, Global News.
Now, the leading website aimed at helping B.C. homeowners reduce their own wildfire risk also advises to steer clear of conifers. British Columbia Fire Smart, which counts the B.C. Wildfire Service as one of its members, includes a chart listing the trees and plants that are the most flammable and should be avoided. The majority of the plants listed are type C or conifers. Stay away from them. Let's lower the risk if we can, especially with the weather warming up again. Here's weather specialist Steph Florian with the details. Yeah, we have a very hot weekend ahead of us. We've also got a very smoky few days ahead of us. Starting right now today, we had a hazy day. We're seeing more localized smoke right now through the overnight tonight, though, where it's going to be waking up to a very widespread smoky situation for your Friday. You can see those cameras are shaking with that westerly breeze right now. But here's a look at the air quality statements in place, seeing an improvement for parts of the southern interior. But now uh, south coast. We've got the Sunshine Coast, Whistler, Howe Sound, Fraser Canyon now all under these special air quality statements, likely going to see Metro Vancouver and likely Greater Victoria by tomorrow. So a lot of rain hit hard Wednesday into today for the BC Peace as well as the Central Interior. Look at some of these rainfall totals. 120 millimeters, 38 for McGregor, Quinell area 27 to 32. So we still have these, uh, these high stream flow air uh, advisories in place right now as you can see in yellow. So all these rivers still highly impacted by this, this rainfall that came so quickly. So huge downpours, but now we're drying out. So we've got a ridge building and that's going to bring those temperatures up and it's going to be very dry. As you can see just above the borderline here into tomorrow afternoon, some increasing cloud, a chance of a shower, and those winds will be picking up for the southern interior in through the afternoon tomorrow. So widespread smoke is really the situation. A rise in temperatures about 5 to 10 degrees above where they should be. We're going to slowly start to feel that heat, but we've got that improvement there. More localized into your day tomorrow. Castlegar, Cranbrook, likely to see a shower with that increasing cloud. We've got varied smoke situation for Vancouver Island, but widespread for the lower mainland out towards the Fraser Valley. And your heat here, it's getting very hot into Sunday, and that's where we're likely going to be seeing some more sunshine. Look at this. We've got rain coming, too, on Tuesday. So Tuesday into Wednesday, we're going to see a drop in temperatures and some rain. But look at this gorgeous photo. Cox Bay, one of my favorite places to surf, and this is just a spectacular photo at low tide. There's your central windows weather window submitted by Bradley McRae. Thank you for that. I've seen you surfing on your Instagram feed. <laughs> I Hang do love to surf. <laughs> sure do. All right. Uh, what a beautiful spot to do it. Thanks very much, Steph. Here's Barry with a look ahead to something we don't always talk about on no, the news hour, and that's no. track and field. That's right, yeah. Forget about hockey or lacrosse. Canada is now a nation of champion hammer throwers. This is just for fun. This is just the icing on the gold medal winning cake. For the second time in a week, a BC athlete has won gold in hammer throw at the World Track and Field Championships. Richmond's Cameron Rogers with the winning throw today in Budapest. What an effort. Also tonight... If I miss a day, it's... Are you okay? Pans hasn't missed many days in the last 46 years. How hiring him was a home run for the Vancouver Canadians. Coming up later. Zero sports. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting in the zone. Yeah. Well, People don't good. get to see it often, but that's what I do. 
<laughs> kind of stare into space. <laughs> Take it away. All right, thanks, Chris. Uh, last week it was uh, Nanaimo's Ethan Katzberg who won gold in the hammer throw at the World Track and Field Championships in uh, Budapest. Today it was Richmond's Cameron Rogers who won gold in the women's hammer throw. Rogers won the gold with their first toss, 77. 0.22 meters. It's an upgrade from the silver medal she won at last year's Worlds. She's only 24 and has been a rising star in the sport the last few years. She's a multinational champ and has won three NCAA titles and now she's the world champion. Hammer throw. It's our new national sport. LPGA is at Shaughnessy in Vancouver for the Canadian Open. Brooke Henderson going with the glasses for the first time ever in competition. Not liking what she was seeing though in round one. Had a lot of trouble reading those Shaughnessy greens. Only one birdie, four bogeys on the day for Brooke. She is uh, tied 73rd. She putts out here at 18 for par. Three over 75, she'll need a good round tomorrow to make the cut and play the weekend. Japan's Yuka Sasso leads at six under. Top Canadian Elena Sharp had a nice round. She's tied third at minus three. PGA Tour Championship, round one from Atlanta. The big news, Rory McIlroy tweaked his back earlier this week, lifting weights. Check in with him in a moment. Colin Morikawa is the big mover today. This is his second shot on the par 5-6. Man, this is a great shot to a few feet. Made the eagle 9-under 61. He is tied for the lead with Victor Hovland and Keegan Bradley. Now, Scotty Scheffler was the number one seed coming in, so he started at 10 under par, was given a two-shot lead over second place, but it was quickly gone. T-shot finds the water, made a triple. He's now fourth, one off the lead. Rory, meanwhile, gutted out an even par 70. This is a great shot from the fairway. You can see he was in pain pretty much the entire round. This led to a birdie. He's three off the lead. Corey Connors is tied 22nd. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford tied 28th in the field of 30. Vancouver Giants have named Manny Viveros as their new head coach. He most recently was head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights top AHL affiliate, the Henderson Silver Knights, but health issues forced him to step down. But now he is able to return behind the bench, something he and the Giants are thankful for. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce the ninth coach of the Vancouver Giants, Giants Manny Viveros. The search for the next coach of the Vancouver Giants started when the organization learned that Michael Dick would be joining the Toronto Marlies coaching staff, which was announced in July. Really started sourcing this a long time ago, and Manny definitely was our first choice. The hockey side of it, it was, it was pretty easy. That, that was not a, a hard decision by any means, but I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I checked all the boxes as far as being uh, healthy again. Great news for the Viveros family. In 2021, Manny was diagnosed with prostate cancer, then colon cancer. He took three medical leaves while he was coaching the Henderson Silver Knights before being deemed cancer-free in December of 2022. The mental part of it was probably the hardest thing for me. With anything, it was just what the toll it took on me, and not only myself. I, I, I can deal with it. With the toll it took on my family, my my wife and my my sons, and uh, and my extended family, and that was the toughest part as far as uh, trying to get myself back and strong enough just to, to you know uh, you know be able to say, can I go through another grind of a, of a hockey season? He'll be tasked with developing the next crop of talent for the Vancouver Giants. I think Manny empowers the players and he gives them a voice in the room. I have two young boys myself um, and I, I, I'll never say anything to a player that I wouldn't ever say to my sons. His character is matched by his coaching credentials. Manny won a national championship in Austria in 2009 and led the Swift Current Broncos to a WHL title in 2018. 
Through everything he's endured, his values have remained the same, but his perspective may have changed. I think it just reinforces of uh, how much I love the game again, and then more importantly, uh, how much, not just game, but the game of life, like as far as uh, how, how much you appreciate my marriage or, or my family and, and, and just have an opportunity to, uh, to, to be alive. And that's for me, is really, really important. And training camp opens next week. The uh, Lions host Hamilton Saturday, 4 o'clock at BC Place. That Lions defense that has dominated at times this season has been picked apart somewhat in two of their last three games. Losses to the Blue Bombers and Rough Riders where they've been beaten with big plays, something that wasn't happening when they were winning. When we don't give up big chunk plays, we're very tough on defense. And we've, that has happened to us a couple games. And, of course, those have been the high-scoring games. So... Our track record, our big, our big body of work suggests we're pretty good at it, but you got to be good at it all the time when you give up those big uh, chunk plays. Um, it, it's tough to play defense in the CFL, so we're, we're working on that and making sure that uh, um, you know, we, we make them work for every yard they get. But they're still 7-3, and three, second in the West, and they still control their own destiny to finish first. So there you yep. go. No doubt. Okay, mm -hmm. thanks very much, Barry. Just ahead, the friendliest guy at the prettiest ballpark in North America. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, we are learning the McDougal Creek fires had a devastating effect on a small fire department in the Okanagan. The Wilson's Landing Fire Chief says more than half his members lost their homes when the raging blaze ripped through West Kelowna last week. His home also destroyed tonight how those firefighters are coping. Also, a man will spend time behind bars for a hate crime in downtown Vancouver last year. And we'll have those, those details at 11 as well. Chris. All right, we'll be watching. Thanks very much, Jordan. Nat Bailey is known as one of the prettiest little ballparks in North America, home of our minor league baseball team, the Vancouver Canadians. It's also one of the friendliest, thanks to an usher named Hans who's been helping fans get to their seats for nearly 50 years. Jay Durant introduces us to this ballpark legend. Hey, Joe. How are you, sir? So many familiar faces on these summer nights. Had a good game? Yeah. <laughs> After 46 years of service, there's bound to be some close connections. Looking forward to every minute of it. Uh, section 8, row 10. Hans is, is an institution around here. Our fans love him. They all know him by his first name. Hans is one of one, an iconoclast. He is a Nat Bailey legend. Dude, what seat are you? So I is just over here. Uh, row six and three seats in. Vancouver baseball and this ballpark have always been a huge part of his life. Enjoy the game. Thank you. I gather that he used to listen to me when he was a young fellow because I'm so old, everybody's younger than I am. For over four decades now, Hans Havis has been leading the cheer at every C's home game. I'm a people person and I love coming here and just being in this ballpark. I'm on the marketing side of things. I can tell fans how what the experience is going to be like. But when they, they experience it firsthand, when they meet a guy like Hans, that goes a long way. One more. Boom. All right. <laughs> now parents are bringing their kids who, when they were kids, they saw Hans in the stands. So it's, he's that connection between multiple generations of Canadians fans. High five, big guy. There you go. It's his first game ever, and it happened to be his birthday. A lasting memory on another great night at the Nat. It's the best little ballpark anywhere. I love it. It's, uh, you look around, and why? what's there not to love about this place? 
Yes! <laughs> People here are fantastic. You know, I enjoy, just enjoy coming out. It's special. Good night, folks. Thanks for coming. Jay Durant, Global News. And he does it all without even having a beer and a hot dog during his shift. Hans, it's great to be able to feature, feature you here on the news hour. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. They're playing Spokane tonight and for the next few nights, so a lot of people mm -hmm. will be able to give him a fist bump or a high five for sure. Bringing that energy up. Yeah, it's really something, isn't it? Um, and bringing the temperatures up in the next little while here too, Steph. They sure are. We're going to see first widespread smoke as these temperatures start to peak. Sunday looks to be the hottest and the clearest, so it's going to get worse tomorrow before it gets better. A little bit on Saturday and then much better on Sunday. Mm. Mm. And, and then rain coming on Tuesday. Yeah, that's quite a change. It's yeah. been very stable for you guys for a long time and now... Little, little interesting stuff coming in the weather. Sure is. All right. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Barry. And thank you all for watching. Have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.